All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the word of the Lord this morning. Right before I do that, I want to encourage you again in the realm of your tithes and your offerings. I want to thank you for your continued faithfulness in that area. Uh, just remember to continue to honor the Lord with the, the in Proverbs, it calls it the first fruits, which means the tithe, the first tenth, that you honor the Lord with it. Uh, I wondered for a long time why, why if the Lord wants us to give 10% back to him, why doesn't he just keep it up front rather than giving it to us and then wanting us to give it back to him? That's because it's called an honor system. He's not demanding it. He's just telling us that his, that's his way of doing business and that's his way of, of meeting all of our need and prospering us. And so when we learn to honor him and bring the first fruits or the first tenth and we bring it back to him, he would see to it that our barns would be filled and our vats would overflow with new wine. So it's an honor system, and we do so by giving it unto him, saying, Lord, we're honoring you with this. Thank you for providing this for us. In honor of that and in honor of you, our trust and our confidence in you, we are bringing this back to you and we're serving you with it. And it's a way of... of uh, Functioning in the kingdom of God is how the kingdom of God functions here on the earth. It's how the, the needs of the, of the local church and other ministries are met. And it's God's financial system. And I encourage you to tap into it and be faithful in it. And God will always be faithful unto you as well. On the screen, there are multiple ways for you to do that. On the website, the church app, you can text your giving or you can give in person here. There's an offering receptacles at the back of the auditorium, envelopes and receptacles back there. I encourage you to go ahead and whatever method you want to use, you just, uh, that makes no difference. You just go ahead and serve God. Amen. Praise God. So are you ready for week three of the Dwell series? Three of you are. All right. Where two or three are gathered together, Jesus is in their midst. So, okay. And so uh, we started this series. Uh, this is uh, week number three. Chris Losbach introduced it on week number one on teaching about who is God from Genesis chapter one and verse one. And in that teaching from Chris, we discovered uh, a, a greater understanding of the, of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I highly encourage you to, to listen to it again, to go back. And, and to listen to it. If you haven't heard, to go back and listen to it. If you have heard it, it's always worth a repeat of listening to it to really get that solidified in your heart and in your mind about God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How God has always been a God of love and He's always been a relational God, and how He desires relationship with us, His creation, and to dwell with us from the beginning to the end. Last Sunday morning, I did uh, week number two. It was on humanity. We discovered how we are created in the image and in the likeness of God. And we were created with a, a sacred, with, with sacred value. We have a sacred reflection. We, God wants us to be reflecting his image and his likeness to the world. And that we also have a sacred purpose given to us by God as being created by God with a sacred purpose. And that was to rule and to govern uh, here on the earth. How We have a tremendous responsibility. And, and, but we are graced by God and we are resourced by God to, to, to uh, uh, treasure the sacred value. Every human being 
being is of sacred value, and we need to be loving people as God loves people, reflecting the love of God, and functioning in the purpose that God has uh, called us unto. Today, we're going to be talking about that we have been created to dwell, and how that dwelling, how created to dwell with God, and God with us, and in, 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 uh, expressing that sacred value and, and reflection and purpose developing God's kingdom here on the earth. And so that we covered, basically, we were, it's a quick outline of Genesis chapter 1 and then Genesis chapter 2. And so we're going to pick up on that today. And, but the, the, the downside of it is, is this, uh, our being created with sacred value and a sacred reflection and a sacred purpose when you read the gospel, when, when you're reading the, the account in Genesis chapter 1, then you get into chapter 2, and then you get into chapter 3, and it, it goes south on us. And I, I said this uh, kind of teasingly before that I, I, I would like to believe that uh, had I been Adam, I would have made it to chapter 5. <laughs> It's just such an abrupt turnaround. You know, we're off to a great start. We're discovering who God is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We discovered that we're created in his likeness and his image, and he put us here on the earth to reflect uh, his, his desires for his, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he gave all this responsibility and authority to Adam and said, here, uh, Adam and Eve, here, I want you to rule and to reign, to tend the earth, to be in charge of it, and to... And, and to nurture it and to take good care of it. And within a few verses, it's gone. So that's what we're going to discover today, that basically dwelling, this whole God's idea and God's heart's desire to dwell with us, it was severed, it was broken. And, uh, but we're not gonna, it's not going to end there. It, 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 you know, thank God that we have a sacrificial system was put in place, and that sacrificial system was until Jesus comes. What we want to take a look at uh, just for a few moments and spend some time on, on the idea that uh, what we were here for. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So here you are in the garden. It's beautiful. Everything is, you know, it, it's, it's immaculate. It's just absolutely uh, perfection. You're in charge of it. You can do all these things, but don't be partaking of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. If you do it, you're going to die. Now, just for clarification, yes, it, Scripture does say that you will surely die, but yet when you keep reading, you find out that they didn't die physically. And so when the Bible speaks of, of, of dying many, uh, and, and of death, many times it's not referring to a cessation of life. It's not, not that your life, that you cease to exist, and it's not a cessation of life, but you are no longer dwelling with God like he wants you to. You know, it, it's been a... It's been a brokenness in that relationship. You're out of fellowship with God. You're no longer abiding with him. And so that's what it's referring to there. So in Genesis, uh, that, that takes place in Genesis chapter 2. So in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we find out that God is the source. God is the source. Then, then in, in Genesis 3, we find out that man becomes 
his own source. In verse 6 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, the woman, was, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the, wis she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. That's the transition that took place from God being the source to man becoming the source. Then we have that uh, uh, throughout chapters 1 and 2, we see it in the verses in there that uh, you see it repeated several times in, in verse 4 of chapter 1 and verse 10, and then also again in verse 31 where it concludes with, a, and God saw that it was good and that it was very good, talking about his creation. It was good and it was very good. So we have Genesis 1 and 2. We have good and very good. And we say good, good. and very good. very good. So it's a perfect, great environment that Adam and Eve were in, and they were given authority to rule and to reign over it. But you get into Genesis chapter 3, and we are introduced to sin and death. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we are created for a relationship with God for relationship with God. And in Genesis chapter three, we see relationship with God is damaged. In verse eight, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Prior to their sin, they did not hide from God. They enjoyed relationship with God. So relationship is damaged. We also see in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 that uh, we have a need for one another, a need for one another. In 18 of chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. In Genesis chapter 3, we see in verse 9 through 13. Let me read that to you. Verse 9, it says that, uh, Then the Lord God called to the man. He said, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So we see that relationship with God is damaged, and, and, and it leads into a, a shame, blame, shame and blame. And in verse 16, it says, Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain you will give birth, and your desire will be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. So we have shame, blame, and, and power struggles taking place here. We have dwelling in Genesis 1 and 2, and in Genesis chapter 3, we have separation. And so in Genesis 3 and verse 15, God is replying, and he said, I will put, in Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You shall bruise his head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so, that there is a very, very powerful statement that is made there. And I want to read that to you from the New King James Open, the Open Study Bible. 
And it's in that study Bible, they have what they call a, a word wealth in there. And so he, it, gives this, uh, it, it gives this explanation of verse 15. It says, the promise is that the seed of woman, this is verse 15 is a promise. It says, the promise is that the seed of the woman would someday crush the serpent's head. That woman in particular would play a part in the undoing of the effects of the fall. In its most specific sense, the Lord Jesus has trampled Satan at the cross. And in the wider sense, in the wider sense, the human race will eventually completely triumph over the evil one. Eventually will triumph over the evil one. Then if, when you're reading that in verses 13 and 14, you know, God is saying uh, to the serpent, because of what he has done, he says, you are cursed. And that carries the idea. The idea when he's saying that you are cursed, it's the idea that uh, he was coming under God's judgment. And uh, even though the, the exact meaning of the serpent being cursed more than the rest of the animal kingdom is not completely clear, there's some room there for speculation. But uh, we also know that not only was the serpent cursed, but we also discover from the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8. I encourage you to write these verses down and go ahead and read them. But you'll find there that Paul later reinforces the idea that all of creation was affected by the fall. Talking about the earth is groaning, waiting for redemption. We witnessed that this week again with the hurricane. Now, it's all part of the fall. And so we need to recognize that and realize that, that yes, that is a part of the fall, but uh, we are waiting for the fullness of our redemption, of our redemption. Let's just take a moment. I wasn't planning on reading that, but I think we should. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. Just listen to this if you can or follow after on your device, or if you can pull it up on the screen, that'd be great. If not, I understand. I didn't give it to you. So uh, verse 18 says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation, and we say all creation, all creation is waking, waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was, subject, was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised. We are given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So you want to be 
patiently and confidently waiting and persevering and believing for the fullness of redemption, but recognizing also that when Jesus died at Calvary's cross to redeem humanity, God's creation, human beings who have sacred value, sacred reflection, and sacred purpose, when Jesus died at the cross to redeem you from the curse, that did not redeem the earth from the curse. We live in a fallen world, and we need to understand that. That's why it's important that we continue to put our trust and our confidence in Almighty God to, to continue to, uh, to uh, serve him and to honor him. The collision, the collision of God's unconditional love with the freedom of, of, of human free will began it right here in the Garden of Eden. This is where Adam relinquished to the adversary his rights to dominion over all the earth and to rule and to reign over the earth. Another scripture that you might enjoy reading is in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. This is where uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And one of the temptations that Jesus, that the devil presents to Jesus in the form of a temptation, and it was for real, he basically said, I think you have those verses, Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Let's pull those up. Luke 4, 5 and 6. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world. This is Satan revealing to Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And this is, he said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. Now, who's giving what to who? Come on. Who's giving what to who? The devil is giving something, tempting Jesus, say, I will give you something if. Let's continue to read. The devil said, because these are mine to give to anyone I please. The devil is tempting Jesus with all the kingdoms of this world and all their glory. He revealed it all to him in a moment of time and basically said, I will give these to you because they are mine to give to whoever I please. When did Satan become the ruler over all these kingdoms? Didn't God give it to Adam and to Eve in the garden and said, here, here it is. You take care of it. And all of a sudden, we see that the enemy has it. Well, it's when Adam sinned in the garden. The ramifications of sin is huge. And, and we need to remember that. I'm just thinking, yeah, Adam's sin was really large. But let's remember that when it comes to ourselves. Sin has severe consequences. And so we want to always keep that in mind. And so the devil is tempting Jesus with this. And so God... As God's created beings, we were meant to dwell within the boundaries of the love that characterizes God's love, characterizes his being. And the boundaries of his love under old covenant were wrapped up within, within the law. Also in the new covenant, the law, he didn't abolish the law, but he fulfilled the law. So the law is still expressed in the new covenant known as love and the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, and so forth. And so the boundaries are his law, which sustains and preserves life. The law of love never diminishes or destroys it. 
And the risk that God's love runs is that his law can, can be violated. His gifts and his powers and his possibilities and potential that he has deposited within us can be corrupted and used for something other than what love would have intended. We see that a prime example is right here with Adam and Eve, what God in his love gave to them, trusted to them, gave them a free will to make the choice and it made the choice to yield to temptation, gave it all over to the enemy and it all came under a curse as a result of it. And so it's in settings, it's in settings in this setting in which evil was introduced and allowed into the world. And so just keep that in mind, and, and that is not, not to put fear in you. It's not to uh, point blame at anyone. We are never to judge or be condescending towards people who suffer loss. You know, uh, your son you know, lost their home in, in Fort Myers. We were praying for our daughter in St. Pete. You know, so how do you, how do you reconcile that? I don't know how you reconcile things like that. We find ourselves rejoicing that St. Pete in Tampa didn't take a direct hit. But then... Fort Myers takes a direct hit. So I, I don't know how you reconcile things like that. But I don't know if we need to even try to reconcile things like that. Thank God they're safe and, and, uh, and just thank God. And thank all of you. Many of you have reached out and, and checked in on our daughter. Nancy and I appreciate that a lot. And Megan, I know she appreciate, appreciated it as well. But uh, she is fine and her house is fine. So thank you. So, so there's a lot of... Uh, stuff going on. But if we, it helps me to stick, keep in mind that we're living in a fallen world. We're living on a planet that's under a curse because of disobedience, because of Adam making the choice that he made. And we, 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 have, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but the planet has not been redeemed. And so basically we're living in, 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 a, in a war zone. And so we experience that, but we continue to rally around each other, love one another, serve one another, care for one another, and pray for one another. And so, but, and, and so, uh, but don't ever get in those, don't, don't ever get in those games while well, you didn't have enough faith or the people in you know, this area have more faith than those people. Don't get in that kind of stuff. That's when you begin, that's when you get into being judgmental. And uh, so, uh, Keep loving God and keep loving people. Remember your sacred purpose is that you have sacred value. You have a sacred reflection. Always be reflecting the love of God, the love of God, and, and always be functioning in, in, your, in your sacred purposes. So I completely went off script, but we'll get back on. Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 3 We see, the, we see a, a, a hard turn away from the, from the plans and purposes of God, from his, his, sacred, his sacred value, his sacred purpose, and, and his sacred reflection that he was, uh, was desiring of mankind. We saw that in the first chapters 1 and 2, that man is the source. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, we see that he, verse 15, it says that he, let's look at that again. Genesis, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says, And he will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, and you will strike his, 
heal. So he there is referring to, uh, to Jesus. He in the Hebrew language is, is the masculine singer, singular personal word in Hebrew, and it's male specific and one referring to Jesus. And the concept of he began to be known as the Messiah, and Messiah means deliverer. One who will reverse the curse, he will deal with sin, he will deal with Satan, and he will deal with death. However, under, in, this, in this timing, now humanity and creation is now waiting, waiting for Messiah. But while they are waiting for Messiah, until then, there is a sacrificial system put in place by Almighty God under the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system. And we discover that under this sacrificial system, we will see there time and time again when you're reading through that, that sin is costly. Everyone say sin is costly. It costs Jesus his life. That's a high price. Sin brings death. We know that Jesus died. Sin, uh, as a result of that, of uh, sin being costly and, and, and sin bringing death, there needs to be a sacrifice, and the sacrifice is to be perfect because God requires perfection. I want to go to Hebrews chapter 4 and share a verse with you from Hebrews 4. 4.15, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, the high, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Remember earlier I shared with you how Satan, Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus was tempted in any area that you could be tempted in, but he did not sin. Adam was tested, tempted in the garden, but he yielded. He yielded to what looked good to the eye, what looked desirable, and, and, and they partook of the tree they're not supposed to partake of. But Jesus did not. So this verse is telling us this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same things we do, yet he did not sin. Yet he did not sin. So Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. And under the old covenant, uh, under the sacrificial system, until Jesus came, which, you know, we're living on the other side of that. We're living on the other side of the cross. But, uh, this sacrificial system is before the cross. But even before the cross, the sacrificial system under the Levitical priesthood and under this system, the sacrifice needed to be perfect. It needed to be perfect. It's interesting that when God spoke to Abram about entering into covenant with him, one of the requirements for Abram in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 is that you're to walk upright and walk perfect before me. Or, walk, or be blameless before me. And in that commandment, God entered into covenant with Abram. But that, that walking upright and being blameless before me did not happen until the seed of Abraham in the person of Jesus Christ, that perfection was manifested. 
Until Jesus was manifested as perfection, the sacrificial system required that you have atonement for sin. On the day of atonement, you go before the priest, and as a family, you take a lamb before the priest, and, the, and it has to be a perfect lamb. There were specific requirements for this lamb, and it needed to measure up, and it needed to be perfect. No blemishes, no spots, no weaknesses, no blemishes. What's interesting, though, with the lamb, so I'm a family. Uh, my uh, wife and the kids, we're, we're going before the priest, and I have this perfect lamb to be sacrificed to atone for my sin. The priest is not inspecting me. He's not parting my hair and looking for lice. He's not looking for flaws and imperfections in me. He's not checking my teeth. He's not checking my health status. He is checking the lamb, and say the lamb. And when, he, when he's satisfied that the lamb is perfect, the lamb is sacrificed and blood is shed on my behalf. That's called atonement. That covered over for my sins for the entire year until the next year of atonement, I had to go back. There was not remission of sin, but it was a covering over of the sin, and there still remained a consciousness of sin under the old sacrificial system. So thank God for Jesus who came as the perfect Lamb of God, as the perfect Lamb of God. God's standard of perfection, when you read in Leviticus chapter uh, 26 and you read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, you will see in those particular chapters that, 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 that they begin with what God is requiring of his covenant people. And he's basically, and they, and they start off, and it was, it was a, a part of entering into covenant with people. He would pronounce the blessings of God staying true to the covenant and the curses or the consequences of if you breach the covenant. Leviticus states that, and it's, 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 a, it's a tough read. The blessing part of it are fun to read, but the consequential part to read that if you break covenant are very dire circumstances. And that is painting a picture of, of, of sin being costly and the ramifications of sin in our lives. And, and it, it does us well to have a consciousness of it, not in a sense of guilt or condemnation, but to be aware of the effects of not being obedient to God. And when you have a, an awareness of it, it really is not for us to become sin conscious, but to me, you become a greater grace conscious. I remember when I would read, when I was just a, a young Christian, I would read the, the, the lineage of Jesus. I would begin in Matthew, and you know, I'm saying, well, I'm going to read the New Testament. I'd begin in Matthew, and it's like, why are all these people listed in the lineage of Jesus? Because I've, I've heard some of, the, some of the background of some of these people that are listed in here, and it, it's not a pretty picture. I mean, if I'm going to give you my heritage, I'm going to skip over my crazy uncle and this crazy aunt. I'm not going to tell you that they're in the lineage. I'm, I'm going to tell you all the good parts. There's some really, really grotesque things took place in some of those people's lives that are in the lineage of Jesus. And then I discovered that the spotlight, that the reason that, that it's just true and it's honest, that's who the lineage of Jesus is. And in spite of the sin, and in spite of the Satan's attempt to cut off the reality of Jesus ever coming in the fullness of time, the grace of God superabounded and Jesus Christ was born of a virgin birth in due season at the appointed time. All that sin that's in there, it could not, it could not 
overpower God's plan that the grace of God superseded. And so it's good to have a consciousness of that, but again, not to make you feel guilty and to squirm. Uh, if it makes you squirming, there's nothing wrong with that. If you need to, if you need to, but I don't know what I'm trying to say other than stop sinning. <laughs> Raymond, that goes for you as well. Or like my mom would say, when it's really serious stuff, Raymond, Souter, Sensenick. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm in trouble. <laughs> So when I hear the Holy Spirit saying, Raymond's out of Sensenic, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Sin includes actions, thoughts, words, and attitudes. I want to encourage you to just really, really develop a consciousness of who you are in Christ Jesus and, and learn to walk in obedience with him. In Hebrews chapter 9, Let me read two more verses to you, then I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14 and 15, talking about Jesus. Let me begin. Let me, all right, I need to stop somewhere. <laughs> Let's stay with 14. Just think now how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. As a perfect sacrifice for our sin. So the grace of God the love of God and the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ is what the Old Testament folks were waiting for, looking forward to, and the types and the shadows on the Old Testament priesthood and, and the slaughtering of the animals, the shedding of the animal's blood, the atonement of sin, all that was pointing. Even the law, it could not save us, but it was pointing us and making us uh, conscious of the fact that we need a savior. We need Jesus Christ. We need that perfection that God provided, that perfect sacrifice. If you never received that perfect sacrifice for your sins, if you never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's just pause just for a couple moments here. Just You might just want to close your eyes and reflect on this for a moment. And if you're in here today and I believe most of us have made this commitment, but perhaps you're here and you never made this, you never received the perfect sacrifice. Today is a great day for you to do that. If you're watching us online, wherever you're watching us from or listening to us from, if you never received the perfect sacrifice that God sent because of that sacred value he sees in you and that, that the sacred purpose he has in you and that sacred reflection for you, he wants to, he wants to manifest himself in you. He wants to dwell with you. Let's, let's go ahead and open up our hearts. Just say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. I acknowledge that I was a sinner and in need of a Savior. So I open up today and I ask Jesus to become my Lord and my Savior. From this moment on, I am forgiven. I'm a new person. I'm in the body of Christ. And I thank you, Father, that I'm born again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God.